Kids love movies. If you're a young person who can't see or can't see well, Audio Description provides access to the visual images that sighted kids enjoy. The benefits of Audio Description in Education Baby Contest, sponsored by ACB's Audio Description Project and the Described and Captioned Media Program, wants those kids to experience Audio Description and then tell us about it. You have a chance to win prizes for yourself and your teacher. Just go to www.dcmp.org slash learn slash 658 to enter and keep on enjoying audio description. Opinions expressed on ACB Radio are those of the respective program contributors and cannot be assumed to serve as endorsements of products or views of the American Council of the Blind, its elected officials, or its staff. Hello and welcome to Tuesday Topics. I'm Paul Edwards, your erstwhile host, and this is the 39th edition of Tuesday Topics in its new iteration. It gives me great pleasure to uh, welcome to Tuesday Topics someone who I have had the pleasure of working with for quite a long time, and we'll establish just how long in a while because his memory is probably better than mine. But welcome, Robert Doyle. Hey, good evening, Paul, and I want to thank you for inviting me and giving me an opportunity to join with you all this evening. And it's uh, coming up on eight years in July. My goodness, and I and I thought it was just over six. Time must fly when you're having fun. I'm glad it doesn't feel like <laughs> sixteen. <laughs> it does not. <laughs> it does not. So let's talk a little bit at the to, just to start with about Robert Doyle. I know. I know you came to us from Rhode Island, where where you were in charge of services to blind folks there. And I know you grew up in Chicago. But what got you to working for in the blindness area? No, so uh, just again, just uh, just in terms of details, uh, it was another small state, but actually Delaware. Uh, mm-hmm. I served right. I served as four it years was. over in the state of Delaware as a, a director there. And you know, honestly, I didn't immediately you know pursue a career working in the blindness field. Um, I had some experience working uh, in the Illinois legislature. I had some experience working with um, um, uh, uh, disability uh, programs with the uh, Philadelphia School District. Uh, I had some personal experience uh, growing up with an uncle who's visually impaired and, and uh, my own son uh, with nystagmus. Uh, and, um, you know, opportunity just uh, presented itself over time for me to uh, to begin working in the state of Delaware as a director of blind services there. And it's been a great, uh, great field, great opportunity uh, over these last uh, 11 plus years now. Mm-hmm. And then eight years ago, you came to Florida in, in it was kind of a controversial time. Um, you know, consumers had in the past been consulted and, and we really weren't when, when you were appointed. And so it was, um, it, it was kind of with some uncertainty and some trepidation that we welcomed you to Florida. But um, eight years later, I think you've done a good job of establishing uh, a good relationship with both consumer groups. So I think that's exciting. Um, did you find it hard to adjust from a small state to a large one? So I, 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 I honestly didn't have a hard time making the adjustment. Um, Delaware, again, being a small state, but having experience, having worked in the state of Illinois and in uh, Philadelphia, one of the largest school districts there, uh, it, it made the, the transition, I think, uh, smoother. 
Um, I appreciate coming here that uh, that you all welcomed me. And I understand the challenges that were present before. But one of the things that I found just over the career by working with the consumer groups, working with individual stakeholders, you can get a whole lot more done than just sitting in the office trying to make decisions, you know, based on what you think, you know, <laughs> going yep. up. So anyway, you were talking about adjusting from a small state to a large state. Yeah, and so, you said it wasn't that big a deal. Yeah, well, and I and I don't certainly don't mean to minimize. Uh, you know, right. Florida is a huge state, and and the way services were delivered and are delivered in Florida are much different than the way they are delivered in Delaware. In Delaware, right. we were like our own CRP, um, at, whereas here we do, uh, and and there we had some difficulty finding uh, folks who wanted to contract with a blind agency, mm-hmm. and here it's 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 just it's just the opposite. And right. so, uh, you know, just using um, uh, some different skill sets, we were able to, 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 to show some success. So one of the big differences between Florida and other states is the fact that we have what are called community rehab programs or CRPs. And there are, what, 17 of them throughout the state? Yes, and it depends on how you count them. And <laughs> but we, we count 17 to 19 and, you know, depending yep. on if it's private and school and that kind of thing. And, and these are the folks who actually deliver a lot of the direct services to blind folks in terms of training and other things. Um, was, was that an adjustment for you is kind of my first question. My second question is, what do you think of it as a model? Yeah, so, so, so absolutely there was some adjustment. You mentioned, you know, in the beginning a little bit of you know, controversy first coming in and, and there were some challenges relating to uh, contracts and relationships between the state and our provider networks. And so there was an adjustment period, I think, for each of us. Uh, <laughs> you know, I don't know if you remember back then, I came in right after a, um, a, a ITN had been launched, which is a, you know, contract negotiation process. Right. And that created some controversy. But, you know, overall, um, it is it is it is fantastic to have such a strong network of service providers to know that you've got folks who are um, are, are credentialed uh, both on the individual level in terms of your certified orientation mobility specialists and certified uh, rehab, uh, vision rehab therapists and those kind of things, as well as folks who are accredited through other organizations to provide vision Mm -hmm. rehabilitation. That is a thrill. As I mentioned, you know, being in another state and in some other states, you don't have that luxury that that we have here in the state of Florida. And so uh, that that really is a a gift. Right. So one of the things that Florida uh, currently requires, I think, um, is accreditation through NAC. Have you found that to be an appropriate process? So I know there's there's uh, sometimes controversy in answering that question, but <laughs> 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 but but I, I absolutely I think uh, you know uh, NAC, which is uh, was uh, taken over by the uh, ACVREP, uh, which is Association of uh, Vision well, Rehabilitation. Go ahead. It, it, it's been taken over by AER, not by. A- I'm sorry, AER, yeah. AER. I apologize. Yeah. Uh, so so you know that that takeover. Um, has, I think, probably helped with some of the challenges that have been out there relating to the history. Uh, yes, so I think state, that's right. But I would say whether, you know, AER or, or NAC, uh, it is really good to have that external organization um, that uh, creates a, an additional level of accountability, not just on the 
vision rehabilitation specialists themselves, but on the organization and the agencies submitting themselves through that process, that peer process, I think is, has been very good. Now, in, in, in the first seven years, because we're, we're, we're going to get kind of going to draw a line at the pandemic, but in, in the first seven years, did you have a clear direction that, that, that you thought you were creating or, or that you were creating? I'm not, I'm not being rude. Um, in, in terms of the direction for the Division of Blind Services, and, and, and can you define it? <laughs> uh, <laughs> you know, I, I think that, uh, uh, you know, just initially uh, coming into the agency, you know, it's all about, you know, a, a, a meeting, greeting, getting to know um, your partners, your stakeholders, uh, understanding, you know, what was done before, what worked well, what didn't work well, uh, and what the landscape is in the state. And so, you know, our overall goal, you know, coming in was just to really understand those things and 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 improve upon them we've talked about some of the challenges early on and so you know we wanted to make sure that we preserve the network for the delivery of quality vision rehab services across the state um we wanted to preserve that and we wanted to protect it along the way and obviously in that delivery system you know the primary goal across it all is making sure that you're able to provide quality services to to the clients. And so, uh, you know, we, we wanted to serve folks, you know, as, as best we could across the board. And that included, again, the stakeholder relationships that included staffing, making sure you had the right folks on the team who believe in the individuals who are blind and visually impaired and believe in the opportunities for success that exist there. And so really just setting the course, looking at those systems, looking at what needs to be retained, what needs to be re uh, improved and what needed to be uh, done away with. Now, over the past four years, you've actually um, improved your results every year in terms of the number of VR clients who were closed successfully. Um, and, and I think also in, in terms of the number of overall clients that you were serving. Is that right? That, 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 that is correct. Uh, and, and that's something that we are very pleased of having been able to accomplish, um, you know, both through the staff and, the, and our and our. Uh, providers. And then again, I don't want to take anything away from uh, the Rehab Council and the uh, Blind Services Foundation as well. Um, it's been a partnership all the way around, and we have yep. been very pleased with all the successes we've had. And, and, and let's talk for a minute about the Blind Services Foundation, because, you know, in some states, it's, it's kind of a, a, a yes board for, um, for, for the blind services and, and, and very little information is shared and it's kind of a mess, but that has not been your philosophy, I think. Not, not at all. Uh, we, we certainly don't have a yes board. <laughs> no, we do not. <laughs> no, we don't. Uh, you know, again, I think it's about valuing and respecting what everybody brings to the table. You know, I, I think about you, Paul, and, 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 and you're one of those people that I have great respect for here in the state. Uh, I think about other partners in the system as well. I, I, I'm constantly talking about Virginia Jackal and, and Miami and others across the state. We have great minds, great individuals who have been um, providing services and support in the state of Florida for many, many, many years. And, 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 and so it is great to have you all, your input, your expertise, your advisory council. And, and again, having a philosophy of transparency, 
open communication, respect, and dialogue, it really does. Uh, it goes a long way. I've seen places where there's been like an obstructionist um, type relationship between the state agency and the boards and councils. That's just not the way we operate. No. And, and uh, one of the things that I can say from, from the other side is both in the case of the Blind Services uh, Foundation and in the case of the Rehab Council, um, we've, we have often looked at issues that could potentially be critical of the Division of Blind Services, but we've, we have, um, I think we've done it in a way that's been constructive um, and, and have ended up with results that I think were mutually beneficial. Would you agree with that? I, I absolutely do. And, and yeah. it does make a difference when, when, when you're looking for, you're not trying to showboat but you're looking right. for results. And when you take yes. that approach, it, it, it does lead to success. Mm -hmm. It's a, it's, it, it really is, uh, you know, I, I have gone to a couple of national meetings of, of kind of folks on, on rehab councils and, and, and I have held Florida's rehab council up as I think an example of the best one, as, as the best one in the country. Um, because I truly believe that, that, that we really do have um, the opportunity to discuss a range of, of ideas and, and approaches and, and are heard. One of the things that uh, might surprise folks is the Division of Blind Services will often bring its policies to the, the Rehab Council for their input, not just those, those areas where there is statutory responsibility for um, the Rehab Council, like looking at the the Florida state plan and that kind of thing. But, but more importantly, I think uh, an opportunity to actually talk about specific rehab policies uh, and much of our input ends up getting accepted by the division of blind services and becomes a part of the policy, which, which I think is very helpful. Yeah, absolutely. I think, I, again, I don't think it's, it's appropriate for us to, to make those, um, those uh, decisions, those policy inputs uh, without the input of the consumers uh, and, again, the input of those who have historically been engaged and involved. I just don't yep. think it's appropriate to do that in isolation. Yep. yep. So one of the exciting things that happened since you got to Florida was the passage of WIOA. Uh -huh. hmm. uh, would you... Would you would you care to comment on on what the impact of WIOA has been on services? Yeah, sure. I, I think that w, WIOA, I think initially it was something that um, voc rehab agencies, vocational rehab agencies across the state initially probably had some some concerns about because it talked a lot about uh, integration and, and, and things like that, that that sounded like you know, the loss of ability to directly serve our consumers. Um, and, and it talked, it made it look like or feel like, you know, uh, you know, particularly when we talk about serving people who are blind, that you kind of get lost in, you know, a sea of, of, of other folks uh, receiving services. Mm -hmm. But from the beginning, um, we have been at the table. Uh, we have uh, been, been able to be a, a, a clear member, a core partner uh, at the table, discussing the policy, discussing the way that, uh, services are delivered in the state. Paul, uh, you probably remember coming and speaking at speaking at the uh, state um, committee that was established relating to the Workforce Innovation Opportunity Act. Uh, yeah, and, and and it's been I think it's been a good thing because what it does is it takes and and from from a standpoint of providing direct services 
in isolation, it gives us an opportunity to look at what does the labor market call for? How do we, how do we uh, ensure that we're not just giving services to folks that's going to give them a degree but doesn't lead to a job? How do you how do you input uh, a career pathway and apprenticeship model? How do you make sure that that you are informing your client service delivery to jobs and credentials that are out there as opposed to, you know, say, hey, I want to be this and there's no jobs that go along with it. And so I think WIOA has been really good for us in that regard. And it's given us a seat at the table. Matter of fact, you know, we we the Division of Blind Services has for the first time in all the history of WIOA or WIOA, you know, I have a seat on the Career Source State of Florida board, That's uh, which has never happened before. Right. And it, and it was certainly something that, the, for instance, when I made my speech to that committee, it was something that I asked for um, because I think I think that the Division of Blind Services for a lot of its history has kind of been an also-ran um, entity that that has kind of been taken for granted by the rest of the folks and to a, to a degree, I think, um, not taken as seriously as the general VR agency is. But that's my opinion, and I'm not putting it in your mouth. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> um, so... There's a lot of talk about the requirement under WIOA for 15% to be spent on transition. Do you have thoughts on whether that's a good thing or a bad thing? Yeah, that 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 really is. Uh, it's it's a it's a. I, I hate to use the word double-edged sword, so to speak. You know, you know, historically, blind agencies uh, such as Division of Blind Services, we have concentrated services for transition age users. As a matter of fact, we serve individuals the year they turn age fourteen, whereas the general or general VR agencies would typically start at age sixteen. And so, we certainly believe in the importance of beginning services at an earlier age. Uh, and and want to continue to see that. I think the challenge in, in and, and, and I want to say again, Florida, I think that a lot of what we see in the pre-employment transition services model, we had already been doing it, you know, before WIOA yes. made that requirement. But the challenge has been in the details of the model. And whereas, you know, what some, some agencies are seeing is that they're spending uh, 50, 60% of their total vocational rehabilitation dollars on the youth and on transition services. And it does make sense that you input it in the earlier stages. But the challenge when you think about a blind agency, again, is that sometimes the folks that are coming to us for services are of an older age. And if you take too many of those resources and shift them into the youth, then it creates a a challenge for making sure that those adults who want to go to work uh, are able to go to work and those who are looking for upward mobility have an opportunity to, to, to achieve that upward mobility. We here in the Florida Division of Blind Services have been able to find that right balance, one, because we were already doing a lot of that already, but it has been a challenge for some of the state agencies uh, across the nation. Yeah, I, I, I think that's right, but, but essentially you don't feel you've had to diminish services to adults based on the 15% here? No, no, we we do not um, because the way we we again we were providing some of those services uh, are, are the bulk of those services already and the way that we design the model you know w- in the context of the new um, of of the new law is that you know our goal is you know the pre-employment uh, transition services were a smaller subset 
of bigger transition services. So our goal is to get to every client the maximum amount of services that are available from the beginning, as opposed to putting a lot of, uh, of resources in, 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 in minimum services. And what a lot of other states are found themselves doing is they're trying to do the prescribed uh, smaller subset of services and spending a lot of money on that, as opposed to helping a client to become fully uh, engaged in the full rehab process. Mm-hmm. So in terms of, Rehabilitation services, we're going to talk about uh, other services in a while, but in terms of rehabilitation services, do you believe that um, there, uh, there is as wide a choice as there can be? And, and that's kind of uh, probably an overarching statement where the answer is always going to be no. But I, I, what I'm trying to get at is there is there a... Uh, are there the range of options available to blind folks as adults in terms of the careers that they want to pursue or, or are we kind of circumscribed by where jobs are? Mm-hmm. I, I think that, um, you know, a large part of, again, what WIOA asks us to do is it asks us to look at, you know, labor market trends. It asks us to look at things that are available in local areas. Uh, and so I think, again, that part, that part is is a positive thing. I do also believe that at the same time, there is, uh, there continues to be um, less, I think, sometimes opportunities for people who are blind because of what I've seen just over my career working in this field is a lot of the ad- attitudinal barriers relating to serving uh, and, and employing people who are blind. And so it's really trying to get those doors open in those I'll say again, apprenticeship programs, uh, right. you know, creating some opportunities there that, that don't readily exist uh, at, at the moment. I've been doing a little bit of research, and I, and I don't know if you've had a chance to look at it, but both in the UK and in Germany, there are really large blind, blind apprenticeship programs. Um, and, and if you haven't looked at them, um, you might want to take a look at them because I think they have some interesting models for us because what they end up doing is creating some incentives that I think we could look at um, for, for those who are, who are running the apprenticeships. And, and there are also um, some, some laws that, um, that reinforce the need for employers to welcome folks with disabilities into apprenticeship programs. So if you haven't looked, take a peek. Um, and that's there. That's going a little far, but anyway. <laughs> no, that's good. Um, if we if we go back to um, the period uh, about a year ago, um, Florida was doing really well in January and February. We were ahead of our our employment goals. Um, I think the area where all of us in Florida are, are finding the most difficulty is in serving over blind, older blind folks. Um, how, how do you feel we're doing with regard to that and, and, and what can we do to make it better? Yeah, uh, you, you're absolutely right. Um, you know, we've seen some drop in the number of folks who've been served as a result of the pandemic uh, just over the period of time. Uh, we um, are, are pleased that we didn't see a major drop in terms of, of folks who in, in uh, who achieved employment outcomes last year. But we did see 
a drop. Um, the older blind population has been the hardest hit uh, in terms of individuals who uh, have either said, hey, I don't want to receive services, uh, whether it's by phone or whether it's by video or whether it's by any other means, that has been the, 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 the population that, that we've been most challenged with, and we continue to be challenged with it. Uh, we do. I was talking with um, the, uh, actually, again, Virginia Jackal a little bit earlier today, and, and then was talking with another uh, a provider on yesterday, and we were uh, uh, talking about, you know, how do we um, uh, take advantage of, for, for example, uh, the vaccination uh, priorities that, that are here in, in the state? How do we take advantage of that to help our clients, uh, one, be able to access those vaccinations, right. uh, two, feel confident that they can re-engage in, in services along the way? I think our CRPs and our teams have done some, some, some amazing things in terms of connecting with those who will connect, but we need to do a better job at, at uh, alleviating some of the concerns and fears of our older blind populations in terms of receiving services. So Florida kind of uh, broke, broke the curve a little last year in its state budget in that it allocated an additional $400,000 to serve older blind folks. Um, were you surprised by that? I was pleased by it. <laughs> <laughs> I was very pleased Be because I'll say this, uh, that, that, you know, we get some dollars from the feds for older blind services, uh, but the state of Florida, we, we already uh, provide a, an amount that uh, is significant, uh, significantly above the matching requirement. Mm -hmm. But even that had not been enough to serve the older blind population. And so we were really pleased to receive the extra 400,000. Um, do, do we know yet whether we'll get it this year or is it, it was that a one-time thing? So we, we don't quite know exactly where everything's going to shake out um, in this year. Um, and, and, and so we're kind of watching that, you know, the, the legislature, the committees are meeting. And of course, uh, our governor has uh, submitted a budget that is optimistic uh, towards the new year. And mm -hmm. uh, we're, we're supporting that budget. Mm-hmm. And I'm uh, going to see where the legislature shakes, shakes out on it as, as things progress. Mm -hmm. So what do we do? What do we do about older blind folks? Because, uh, you know, there aren't the, the, the amount that's been allocated by the federal government to serve that population uh, has allocated, I think, $33 million. And that's been essentially a flat amount for the past decade. Um, so the, 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 what do we do? in order to improve services to this population that we already know is going to grow exponentially over the next few years? Yeah. Yeah. Again, that, that's, that's, that's the, that's the, that's the big question. I know that, you know, in the standpoint of, you know, the resources that we have available, uh, maximizing that utilization, great to get the 400,000 from the legislature last year. We've also been utilizing funds that we've been able to uh, recoup from the um, Social Security Administration to put additional dollars uh, in, in serving the older blind population as well. But I think uh, as uh, the agency serving the blind has been looking at is how do we tap into and work in partnership with the aging uh, network? How do we tap into and work in partnership with the independent living network? How do we, um, how do we engage with those groups 
to in order to to reach more of those folks that need services. And then, as you know, as well, the Blind Services Foundation uh, uh, this year has allocated funds and we've been working on a rate study. But that also includes looking at sustainability. And we're hoping that that study is going to give us some ideas about what we may need and a tool that we might be able to use with uh, the administration and, and the legislature uh, to to uh, go after the dollars that will be needed to serve more uh, in the future. Excellent. So, so let's talk a little bit about the pandemic. So, um, in in February and March of of last year, things were just humming along for the Division of Blind Services, and then suddenly everything shuts down. How did you guys react? <laughs> You know, I, I, you know, honestly, it was it was uh, much like the rest of the world. You know, initially, we don't know whether or not, you know, we're just talking about a, a two week hiatus. You know, you know, initially it's like, hey, you know, you know, things are going to slow down for a couple of weeks. We're going to go home and we're going to serve individuals, you know, from home. But but really, you know, looking at it as a very short term uh, engagement, we were mm-hmm. very, very fortunate that that our technology was already in place. Uh, where our staffs were able to take their computers and laptops home. We honestly, DBS, Division of Blind Services was in a better position than I think many of the other state agencies in terms of having the technology in place to go home and do a, a home-based service delivery. Uh, but, but it was not without its challenges because while we were able to receive phone calls and things like that, um, making sure that we were able to tie into the network of service providers, whether that be the eye doctors or whether that be the local lighthouses and with all of the uncertainty around COVID and how it's transmitted, it really created some challenges along the way. You think having to deal with 17 agencies made it easier or harder for you? <laughs> I, I think honestly, the, the, the 17 agencies are primarily represented by uh, the Florida agency serving the blind primarily. Mm-hmm. Yes. And so we established weekly communication, weekly contact, uh, where we shared uh, challenges and opportunities, where we talked about things that were going on and tried to strategize together on ways to overcome some of those challenges. And so being able to have that, uh, that smaller committee and that committee representing the interest of the, of the larger uh, uh, body of contractors really was helpful. It streamlined the communications. Uh, for the most part, there doesn't mean there were some challenges along the way, but it streamlined the communication and uh, and allow for us to uh, discuss those things without, uh, you know, having 17 people in the room, if that makes sense. <laughs> it, it does. Now, for the first couple of months, um, you as a division actually kind of afforded those agencies something of a holiday with regard to contract commitments. Yes. Yes. Yes, we did. We were able to work with the governor and the, and the commissioner and we were able to. Uh, waive financial consequences for state-funded programs, that because we knew that it was going to take a while for the for the contractors, the lighthouses, to be able to, you know, build up the capacity and the resources to serve individuals remotely. Uh, and and again, our our priority is we wanted to make sure that the network was able to stay intact because if we lose the network, then we lose the ability to serve our clients. Yep. Um, and I think that. After after the two months, um, you you also went to a system where 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 I think the Division of Blind Services took much more individual um, looks at 
the the circumstances of of each of the CRPs or community rehab programs in in terms of trying to decide how best to handle their contracts? You, you said that so eloquently. That, that's absolutely right. We wanted to take a look at each individual agency, how they had adapted their service delivery. We wanted to um, interpret the contract with the maximum flexibility that we could. One, making sure that services are still being provided because number one, we don't, we, we don't pay for services not being provided. Yep. But where there's effort, there's intent, there's outreach, uh, there is communication. We wanted to interpret those contracts with the maximum flexibility to make sure those contractors remain in place to be able to provide the services uh, to our clients. And so we allowed for indirect services that we hadn't allowed for before. We had CRPs that were out delivering meals and doing our contractors out mm -hmm. delivering meals. And we had contractors, you know, doing uh, what they call a uh, uh, front porch services. And mm -hmm. so trying to use creativity uh, mm -hmm. in that service delivery process and giving them credit for it. Mm -hmm. Um, one of the questions that CRPs have raised um, pretty consistently um, is the difference between uh, urban CRPs, that is those that are located in larger cities and the rural ones. Um, do you perceive that there's a, a fundamental difference in the ability of the two kinds of organizations to function? Yeah, there, there is a challenge for those in the rural communities, no, no doubt about it, uh, especially when you think about the, the hands-on nature, the face-to-face -face nature of blindness rehabilitation. And, and we do hear that from our contractors, uh, particularly those in the rural areas. Uh, in, the, in, the, in the more urban areas, uh, they're able to bring in groups at a time and serve multiple people at one time. And whereas those who are in the rural areas, you know, have to do more of that individualized uh, service delivery. But one of the things that 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 we've discovered, uh, and I don't mean we engineered, so to speak, during COVID is, listen, we have an ability to reach clients now in ways that we hadn't before, particularly where they have the technologies available in the rural areas. And so we're able to reach more in the rural areas uh, than we have before. And, and, and we've been able to recognize that while we don't want to get rid of face-to-face -face instruction and face-to-face -face interaction, that we can do more virtually uh, after the pandemic is over than we have before, which I think is going to help those rural communities. It's going to help the providers as well, because now they'll be able to reduce some of the strain of all of the uh, travel by providing those remote services. But there does continue to be a challenge uh, in terms of serving the rural community, especially when the technology is not there, the infrastructure, the internet is not there, or people don't have the basic skills that they need in order to access the technology. So is it your intention to build into contracts in the future an expectation that um, that virtual programming will be a, a core for, for every agency's service delivery? Uh, I, I will say yes. And, and just clarifying that the idea is that uh, we want to continue to have that virtual uh, instruction, that virtual service delivery remain intact. We don't want to eliminate the face-to-face. Uh, but we want to make sure that that is one component of how services are provided. So uh, another area that was impacted by the pandemic in a pretty serious way was the business enterprise program. Those who, those folks who provide vending, talk to us a little bit about what Florida's experience was there. Yeah, our, our business enterprise program um, 
is and has been one of the harder hit programs uh, because, you know, you know, as um, well, just one thing to know about the business enterprise program, it's uh, food service uh, in state buildings. Uh, it's vending service in rest areas. Of course, we also have some uh, contracts and some military installations and some uh, prisons as well. And so when you talk about a shutdown and talking about a mass exodus of people in state buildings or mass exodus of people on the roads, um, our blind operators, their livelihood uh, uh, threatened uh, and, and some having lost tens of thousands of dollars in revenue, but also you talk about spoiled foods. Um, the average uh, income of vendors uh, decreased um, about 25%. Uh, that's a guesstimation of the percentage, but that, that sure. it, it, it dropped some having a greater impact than what others had. Uh, we were uh, unable to get some flexibilities from the federal government uh, and some of the areas to, uh, to try to shore up those, uh, those, uh, those providers up until the last um, uh, CARES Act that was passed in, uh, in December, where they did make some funds available. We're still waiting for them to reach the state. But uh, but our our blind operators were, were very severely hit uh, as a result of that. And again, as you think about uh, state, uh, you know, a lot of folks have gone to teleworking and, and, and that was a, a challenge. And a lot of state agencies are going to continue to telework uh, into the future. And so that means ongoing uh, financial uh, challenges for our blind operators. So how did the Division of Blind Services respond? So, so we, we certainly have uh, worked in consultation with a committee of vendors, uh, which is uh, an elected body of, of blind entrepreneurs through the business enterprise program. Uh, we looked at uh, ways that we could, uh, we looked at uh, policies such as providing a fair minimum return to the operators. We looked at um, uh, opportunities to provide funding to them through our gifts and donations program. Uh, we worked with that committee. We talked about just a variety of different policies that we can put in place to, to make grants available to those operators. We encouraged them to, uh, to apply for uh, federal funds that were available through the uh, Paycheck Protection Program. Right, right. Uh, and in some instances, we, we had folks who needed to open up a case uh, for services again in order to shore up their businesses. Mm -hmm. So do, do, we, do we know um, whether BEP is on the road to recovery, are things beginning to open up more? Yeah, some, some things are beginning to open up and we are seeing uh, where some revenues are beginning to uh, increase in some areas. We still have some challenges in some prisons and, and other areas and not being able to access them, but we are seeing some improvement. And then one of the things I mentioned as well is that uh, in the second CARES Act that was passed in December, uh, the feds did allocate $20 million to the business enterprise programs across the states. Uh, we expect to get about $1.3 million into Florida, and those funds are going to be designed to make whole any vendor who lost income uh, during the last year. And, uh, and so that's, that's what we're looking at. And, and, and the division, we made funds available again through our gifts and donations program. Not all of those funds were accessed or applied for. But those funds remain available to where vendors may need them. Excellent. So we've talked about older blind folks. We've talked about uh, vocational rehabilitation. But what we haven't so far talked about are kids from 0 to 14. And there are two programs that operate in Florida, the Babies Program and the Children's Program. Um, can you tell us a little bit about 
uh, both of those. Yeah. So so again, we're we're very fortunate in the state of Florida because our legislature uh, has allocated funding to these programs that we we don't see that in every state. Uh, and so again, we've got our blind babies program that uh, serves uh, infants and their families up to age five. Uh, and and the whole idea is going in there and working with those individuals, working with those families and providing supports of living with blindness and living with visual impairment. Uh, each year we serve um, a, a little under a thousand individuals in that in that program. And again, we work with our lighthouses, our community rehab programs uh, to deliver those services. And uh, and and again, we're we're really pleased with that program and and the services that we're receiving there. Uh, it has been a challenge again, especially you know when COVID hit, uh, because a lot of those services are delivered at the at the child's home, uh, and so that created challenges for coming into homes again as folks are concerned about transmission of COVID and those kind of things, and so it created some delays uh, of services for for our blind babies. Um, Likewise, you know, when we think about our children's program that goes from, you know, age five, six, because uh, some, you know, they stay in babies at age five and, and others, you know, uh, a drop at age five and go to the children's program. But, you know, serving those individuals going up to the transition age um, also have been a challenge. You think about uh, individuals and, and typically who will receive services maybe in a classroom, they're augmenting their uh, daily instruction in the classroom, the challenge had been, you know, everything's gone virtual. And so, hey, it's really great that everything's gone virtual, but, you know, everybody's using a different, different platform. You know, right. uh, it took a while for folks to know that Zoom is a preferred platform, but that created some challenges. And then everybody wanted to access those students at the same time on the computer every day, which also created some challenges and conflicts. Mm -hmm. But the, again, children's programs aren't common in other states, are they? No, no, they're not common. A lot um, of states are going to pick up at age in a blind program. They're going to pick up. I, I know a couple that may pick up age 10, others at 13 and 14 right. in blind programs, but we're unique in having those uh, younger programs. And <clears throat> what is what is your justification for, for having a children's program? It, it Because it provides a foundation uh, foundational skills that uh, will help lead to uh, students being able to be successful uh, in their academic pursuits, which makes them better prepared uh, for college and career. Um, those programs being in place, it gives them introduction to things that, uh, that without those programs, um, they would be falling behind uh, in, 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 their, in their classroom. Another thing the Division of Blind Services does in Florida is uh, is responsible for the operation of the uh, Florida Talking Book Library that operates out of Daytona Beach, Florida. Um, do you have any thoughts about where they are and where they might be going? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, the 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 Berlin Talking Book Library again. I want to do a do a, a call out to folks who are maybe are not receiving those services, but uh, hey, they they've done some really really good work throughout the years. And, and during this pandemic as well, being available and making materials available to consumers who are blind or who have other print disabilities. Our library uh, serves uh, 32,000 uh, people every year, and we're shooting for a target of 40 plus thousand people to be served through the library each year. Over the last few years, um, we've had an increase in the number of uh, 
or recordings that we've created in the state of Florida or Florida materials that have been recorded here in the state of Florida that recognize Florida, but, but that have been made available to the National Library System. And mm -hmm. so that's really good work. Our folks have worked really hard on that area. And uh, the Braille uh, and audio reading download, BARD, uh, is one of the other areas that uh, the library has concentrated in terms of, uh, of helping people to know how to access material, download it themselves at home, uh, and be able to enjoy all their favorite books and things on that level. And so that's a, another area that we look to uh, continue to expand. The library also administers a partnership, the Newsline, uh, where folks have access to local newspapers and things of that nature, uh, jobs and things of that nature. And so they also uh, work with that program as well. And so, again, we're, we're very pleased to have the library. Not every state agency has an opportunity to administer that program, but we're really pleased to be able to do it. You may not know the answer to the question I'm about to ask you. And after this question, Rick, we're going to try opening it up for a while and see what other questions we might have. Um, but the the National Library Services is uh, is is operating pilot programs for um, the selection of ebook readers, and um, Florida was offered the opportunity to participate, and and as I understand it, decided not to. Do you know anything about that? I, I hate to say that I don't, but I, but I think I have to say that I don't. <laughs> um, so that, that's, that's something for me to take a, take a look at. Yeah, you ought to, because it surprised some of us. We thought we'd, we, we would be very good candidates to participate in that program. Um, but so it's interesting. Um, Mr. Rick, do we have anybody with a hand raised? Yeah, we do. We've got Anisio. Anisio, Mr. Correa, who is a new Thanks. resident of Florida. Hey, Anisio. Thank you, Paul. Uh, new resident after, or I guess I'm coming back home after 40 plus years. It's a pleasure to talk to you, Mr. Doyle. This has been wonderful to, to have this opportunity to learn so much about the Division of Blind Services. Um, my question, if I can go back a little bit to the discussion of WIOA, uh, we, Paul mentioned the, the the impact of the positive and negative of 15%. The, the other big change that happened with WIOA was the elimination of the homemaker um, status as a, as a viable vocational goal. And I'm wondering if one, were you here in Florida already then? And was that a big impact from which you had to, uh, you had to address? Uh, a great question. I'm going to say welcome to the state of Florida. I think it's a great place to get, to live. And uh, as you come back, I uh, hope you enjoy it and, and we'll stay. Uh, but yes, I was here when the homemaker was uh, eliminated uh, as part of WIOA. Uh, I, as well as a re rehabilitation council and uh, members of our Blind Services Foundation, uh, articulated our concerns relating to the elimination of the, of the homemaker uh, outcome, and uh, we've we've shared that with uh, with the feds uh, as it was occurring. Uh, one of the things to note is that um, when I came to Florida, the Division of Blind Services actually had not been utilizing that homemaker outcome. However, I did reinstitute the utilization of the homemaker prior to the feds taking it away, uh, but utilizing it, uh, you know, in a, in a limited sense. Mm -hmm. um, so, so that it, you know, that you're not just using it as a way to, to pad outcomes, if that makes sense. Right, right. And so it has been a challenge, uh, uh, for a number of state agencies. Uh, it is a, again, one of those double edged situations where, 
on one end, you you really do want to help people to go and, and be able to get a job and earn a living. And at the same time, we understand what, what the homemaker outcome did for those individuals when it was properly utilized. Um, we realize that as part of, uh, of the Workforce Innovation Opportunity Act, that, that you know, it's kind of like reading the, the, the writing on the wall, that, that that was something that they were not going to bring back. And so we just had to move forward with helping as many folks as we could uh, to continue to receive the services that they need to lead to employment. And one of the other things that we've been fortunate in, in the state of Florida, I'm not sure how long we're going to be able to hold on to it, is we've been able to use a, um, a program for people who are not looking to go to work to provide rehabilitation services as well. And that's our independent living for adult, not the older blind program, but we've been able to provide services to individuals. But that, that's, that's funded through the state state yes. funds, right? Yes, that's correct. So can, can I ask another question, Paul? Sure, go ahead. Um, so, Mr. Dawes, I, I've worked in various states in the last 40 years, and I have not come across anything like what I seem to think I'm hearing about the, the Blind Services Foundation. Is that is that something new in Florida, or is it is it unique? It, it's uh, and I'll, I'll let Mr. Edwards if he wants to talk about that, but but it's unique in in terms of my experience uh, in state agencies. It, it really is unique from what I've seen. Yeah, it's been a it, it, it's it's been it's been a fun evolution. There was a a legislator from the Jacksonville area named Steve Wise, who became very interested in um, blind services. I worked with him oh thirty years ago. And, and we wandered around quite a lot together. And uh, Senator Wise um, actually went to the legislature with a proposal that he thought um, would eventually uh, render the Division of Blind Services independent of the need for state funding in their budget. Um, he thought the potential for raising money in the way that, that, uh, that the foundation was gonna do it was immense um didn't turn out to be that way but mm -hmm. what he created initially was a situation where um everybody who bought a motorcycle tag had the option of buying a, a motorcycle tag that would support the division of blind services foundation and and four other agencies were initially involved in the system we're now kind of separate from each other but now the the foundation raises about about sixty thousand dollars a year which we are required to spend on projects so the good thing about the foundation is it requires those of us who are a part of the foundation to think about what look like exciting projects and come up with one so mm -hmm. as director doyle mentioned a few minutes ago um, what we're engaged in now is a rate study which for the first time is, is trying to rationally look at what each service that's delivered by local programs actually costs and, um, and, and how best in terms of ongoing funding um, are, are we going to be able to put together programs that are sustainable given the budgets that we're operating with and, and, and given what are perceived as, as, as future and current trends, and how, do, how does what we do in Florida compare um, to what's going on in the rest of the country? And, and, and without the foundation, we just wouldn't be able to do stuff like this because there's just not enough money in the budget to do it. 
and, 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 and sometimes even the, the flexibility to do those things without the foundation. Uh, right. You know, we don't have time probably to talk about the outreach uh, uh, initiatives that the foundation has funded, as well as right. um, the uh, vocational evaluation tool for the blind that right. we partner with. Uh, really, really great things that the foundation has afforded us to do. Huh? Great. Well, thank you so much. And nice to meet you. You as well. Thank you. Thank you, Mr. Inicio. Mr. Rick? Yeah, phone number 8709, please. Hi there. Yes, my name's Jason, and I'm planning on moving to Florida in May. And nice. I'd like to know, I, I'm plan I was wanting to maybe become a Braille transcriber. Do you guys have training out there for Braille transcribing? We were, we were actually, uh, I was actually talking with the folks over at the um, uh, Instructional Materials Center uh, just the other day about uh, Braille uh, transcription program and uh, looking at how we might be able to work uh, together on something like that uh, as some of the other states have. Uh, there may be some things out in the community that, that uh, folks are working on in that area, but we do not currently have anything formally uh, again, unless, unless, Paul, you know of something. <laughs> no, I, <clears throat> not really. The Florida Instructional Materials Center, Jason, is the, the entity that's responsible for producing all of the textbooks for kids in school. Um, huh. and, and they probably are currently providing um, the, the largest number of opportunities for transcription that exists now. There, there was a printing house in the state of Florida um, that provided uh, a number of jobs for Braille transcribers. Um, but that printing house closed down about 20 years ago. Um, I think what I would do if I were you, Jason, is, is I would get in touch with um, uh, the Braille department at the Library of Congress and talk to them a little bit about Braille transcription. And, and certainly before you can get a job, you're going to have to be certified through them anyway. So... Yes. So you might work in, in, in that direction even before you move. Oh, yeah, I could do that before I come to Florida. Oh, yeah. And because in California, I used to teach Braille. Uh-huh. That. That's so, excellent. I, I think you've got a good chance of being successful. Um, you know, the, 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 there is an exam that you have to take in order to qualify and it's, it's really an ongoing course that lasts, I don't know, six months or so, um, depending on how quickly you do your assignments. But, but essentially, once, once you've got that, you're almost certain to be able to find work. And if you're good at it, um, the, the biggest demand is for Braille music transcribers. Oh, yeah. And I need to have the right equipment to do it, too, like the right kind of Braille printer. And no, no, no. I mean, you're... you're that, that your your braille printer isn't going to be near, nearly as important as either your computer or your braille writer. Oh yes. Okay, so he says speak to the Library of Congress. Yep the the, the braille department. Yep. Mister oh. Jason, thanks for your call. Thank you. Mister mm -hmm. Rick, phone number one five one one, please. Uh, yeah, hi. Uh, my name is Jennifer, and I actually uh, I was a VR client in both California and the state of Hawaii. And, uh, you know, I, my case with them has been, you know, kind of, uh, it's, it, it was closed in both states. And one of the biggest challenges 
uh, I'm not a VR professional, but I, I actually currently am on Social Security. Um, but I um, actually had tried to go to college both in California and in Hawaii, and it was just a nightmare um, the whole way around. I mean, elementary school or high school was tough enough as it was, but it was even harder when I went to college. And I had been trying to just, you know, set goals. Uh, after a while, it just got to the point, and I will be honest with you, it got to the point where I just could not think of any more vocational goals. And I told the VO, the person that, um, you know, I told I told people, I said, you know, I can't think of any more goals anymore. I just, you know, gave up trying. And a lot of it had to do with the fact that California and Hawaii are very different in their way of operating because Hawaii is trying to maintain a cultural identity. So it's, it's made, it made things very hard for me. And I, you know, I went there, I learned Hawaiian language, Hawaiian culture. And so it was, it was an interesting education, but I felt that there were problems like, you know, just with, and a lot of it had to do with the cultural dynamics. I just couldn't stand them after a while. And I moved back to California and, you know, neither state would accept out-of-state transfer. I figured that out. And so I've just, you know, right now I currently am just trying to, you know, learn as much as I can um, from blind organizations as well as you guys so that I can be better informed and, you know, better educated. And you, that's you, all do, I can really do at this point. Do you know what you want to be when you grow up, Miss Jennifer? <laughs> well, I'm 40. <laughs> I'm, 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 I'm 44 and I'm about to turn 45 and I tried just about everything and I feel like you know I I can't even think of anymore I mean heck I thought I, I mean I even almost thought about going back going becoming a lawyer which actually I at one time when I was younger I thought I wanted to be a judge and of course that didn't pan out at all um, you got to be a lawyer that. first, so. Well, so, yeah, you got to be a judge before you can do anything else, and so it's like yeah. you know, I'm thinking, I I just can't think of anymore. I I can't so, think of anymore. So, Director Doyle, got any advice for Jennifer? <laughs> yeah, I I think that Jennifer, you know, uh, and 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 you may have already done this. Number one, I I you know. I think Florida is a lot better than uh, both California, and, and I have some good. I got some friends in uh, Hawaii as well, but uh, but I will say that if 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 you haven't looked at a career interest inventory, if you haven't looked at, and I'm, I'm thinking about our new uh, vocational evaluation tool, you know, to yep. kind of really take a look at, you know, what kind of things that are out there, uh, I would take a look as well. Again, you know, look at that inventory, and then look and see. Where, where you're living, what kind of jobs are in available in that area that may align with what you find in that inventory? Paul, were you going to add to that? No, but I think I think that's good advice. And, and you beyond um, beyond what you're looking at, take a look at Career Connect, which is on the American Printing House's website. There are some tools that are there that might help. I you. think. At the Career Connect actually is American Foundation for the Blind. That's no, uh, it used it used to be there, Jennifer, but it isn't oh, anymore. Oh, they changed that. Oh, yeah. they changed it. Oh, okay, well, uh -huh. you know, I like I said, I was just here to learn and maybe you know, and I I think that eliminating the homemaker program was a huge mistake because we, for those of us who are not able to work because of other disabilities, I have PTSD in addition to the blindness, which is yeah. complicated further. We, so we we I, agree with you, Jennifer. We absolutely do. Um, we fought uh, as hard as we could 
um, both at the ACB level and and at the Florida Rehab Council level to uh, to try to get WIOA to change their mind. We we agree with you. We think it's a yeah. plateau that can be used uh, to help folks who have gotten a certain way towards rehabilitation to then ha- have an opportunity to to feel like they're contributing and at the same time as they're continuing to get training that makes them more employable down the road. So. We agree with you. Yeah, well, I appreciate enabling. I I appreciate appreciate you allowing me to sit in on this conference and express my viewpoint about this. Excellent. Thanks for your call, Miss Jennifer. Okay, thank you, Mm -hmm. Mister Rick Randolph Shepherds of Florida, please. RSVF. Hello, you guys. Hi, thanks. Uh, this is Woody Matthews. I'm the president. Hi, of Woody. How are you, sir? I'm good, Paul. I want to compliment you on this podcast. Thank you so much for putting this together. Mm-hmm. I look forward to each week now. Um, <clears throat> Mr. Doyle, one of the questions that the operators have been raising to me is um, the future. COVID has made dramatic changes and I know you're aware of it and your office has been working hard for us and thank you for that but the future is of a real concern to us both uh, the uh, uh, GSA and uh, the department of uh, the state organization that handles properties are both talking about large numbers of people continuing with the teleworking and uh, abandonment of some of the state properties, especially the lease properties. Are we at this point within the BBE program or within your office starting to try to determine what that future is going to look like? Yeah. Uh, hey, Woody. Uh, and that, that's a great question. It is something that we are aware of. It's something that we are challenged with. Um, It it just just, just is the reality. I think that, you know, people teleworking is going to happen across the state and across the nation. And what we are going to be challenged with, I mean, on one end, we're going to expect to see, you know, like, for example, where I am here in Tallahassee, you know, we've got folks who've moved out. They're going to go and they're going to telework, but then we're going to have other people who are coming in from other buildings uh, who are going to fill this up. And there are going to be some people uh, on a positive trend, potentially, who were in lease spaces that were not stayed on. They're going to begin to fill up some of these state buildings, which will actually create some more traffic uh, in some areas. But we're also going to have to be creative. We're going to have to be uh, inventive in terms of what new markets are out there. Uh, uh, and, and what markets can we get into that we haven't been into before? And so, you know, in the state of Florida, we've got uh, consultants that are going out there who are knocking on the doors for not just, you know, the, the buildings that, we're, uh, that have to let us in, not just the organizations that have to let us in, but what about those places that don't have to let us in? Do we have a competitive product? Do we have a competitive service that we can provide for them? And then I've challenged, you know, in times past as well, thinking outside, 
you know, of, 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 of the box, so to speak. And I know, you know, th that you get used so often, but, you know, we we're seeing, you know, these places, these towns, municipalities they're you know, they're utilizing, you know, different uh, rental uh, vehicles and different things and, and the, and the schools and, and, and the communities, you know, what other opportunities that are out there that we haven't tapped into before that we can tap into in order to create some opportunities, but teleworking is going to stay. Uh, some folks are going to get tired of it and try to get back into their buildings, but there's still going to be a, a large uh, percentage of people who are teleworking. And so we've, we've got to find, uh, you know, new ways to and new places that we can serve uh, in order to, to, uh, to, to keep the program viable. Woody, do vendors have ideas about what you guys think uh, the best way for DBS to go is? Uh, we're actually working to formulate some of those ideas now within my organization. Excellent. Um, by the way, uh, Randolph Shepherd Vendors of Florida is a, a state chapter of Randolph Shepherd Vendors of America, a special interest group of ACB. Um, and what we're doing here is trying to come up with some concepts. A uh, couple of things that we're throwing around is maybe suggesting that our state looks to create a uh, warehouse supply center that uh, uh, would employ people of various disabilities uh, to pack um, orders for the state's prison system uh they call it a canteen service <clears throat> we think that might be a viable option in the future as mr doyle pointed out um we we within rsvf call it uh uh by, by request uh um contracts uh i know in my five years in pinellas county um our uh my route was dependent on the postal system, which was dwindling. So we started reaching out. We picked up the city of Clearwater. By the time I had to leave for medical reasons, I had five other municipalities in that area. Excellent. Uh, ready to talk. The, these are the things that we're going to have to look at doing way outside the box. Woody, thank you so much for your call. And, and, and just as an aside, I'm so glad uh, to, to, to hear you say RSVF, because I understand it was a little uncertain whether you guys were going to remain with us. So we're glad you're here. It was, but we're back. Um, I think the state of Florida needs representation of it the does. operators as a whole on the state level, working with Mr. Doyle's office, Mr. Finley's office, Jim Worth, the chair of our committee of vendors. Um, I, I learned a long time ago that two points, the state SLA and the, um, and the, and the committee can be rather combative um, anytime you've got two points of opinion. But if, yep. you, if you put in a third, then you don't focus on that combative, but the three lines of communication yeah. that are created. Nice. Nice. And so that's what we're trying to do with RSVF in the state now. Excellent. Woody, thank you so much for your call, sir. Thank you, Paul. And by the way, SLA stands for State Licensing Agency, for those of you who are fond of acronyms. <laughs> Thanks, Woody. Um, Mr. Rick? Liz Bowden, please. Liz. Hello. How are y'all doing? Well, Hi, Liz. 
Oh, hello. I want to thank you from the bottom of my heart for um, allowing the CRPs to do remote instruction and remote, um, you know, helping repair and do all kinds of stuff like that. I guess I was um, way above my time or before your time or somebody's time because I used to get in trouble for it. But um, the, I have two questions or I have two ideas. One of the ideas is because they're doing a lot of the teleworking now and there are going to be some changes in um, how the state agencies, especially the ones here, do their software and all, is the time right to make sure that the state agencies, I think I counted them and there's 36, comply with um, software mandates that they're supposed to be following anyway that were, um, you know, passed into law part of Chapter 282 of the AEIT law. And um, if it is, are there plans to do like a task force or something to help them understand that it's important for them to conform to it instead of just keep being sued by the people that can't be employed there? Because um, that's what happens. And there are some that just don't care. Um, and the third thing, I was very sad about the library because I had this beautiful employment dream for myself, of course, that um, <laughs> that I would be remotely employed for the library to do the tech support for the Braille parts. So <laughs> you never know. But your first question is a really good one, Liz. Let me let Director Doyle respond. That's a, it's a it's a really really good question. I wish I had someone else I could defer it to. Uh, <laughs> I'll help you. <laughs> so 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 you know that 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 is a challenge. We know that the laws have been on the books for quite some time in terms of accessibility, and I think with you know what we've seen with COVID nineteen and so many people going into remote work, uh, it, it's it's kind of shine a, sh shown a light on the fact that many uh, agencies, many places do not have the accessibility that they ought to have and they should have. And, and unfortunately, uh, it's resulted where some folks have had to say, hey, I'm going to have to file a suit or that kind of thing against this business in those places uh, because of the lack of accessibility. I think at the same time, I think folks are beginning to realize that you know, we we have, you know, what I have as part of our strategic plan or what I like to call our accessibility initiative and the whole idea as a division of blind services being available as a resource uh, to other state agencies and being a resource to uh, maybe businesses who want to have a, uh, a soft screen, so to speak, of their systems to see if they are ready and accessible and then uh, creating from there. Um, a handoff to other private industry, a handoff to the lighthouses and a handoff to others so that they can actually go in and directly work with uh, those businesses and those entities that, that lack in accessibility. Uh, but, uh, you know, unfortunately, um, we still, you know, we still see the challenges with accessibility across the board. One of the things that we did as a Division of Blind Services uh, last year, and we were the first state in the nation to do it, is we created a statewide um, uh, agreement with uh, Vispero. These are the folks who are, are over the Freedom Scientific, the JAWS, yeah. the ZoomText. And so that's one thing that we've been doing on our side, but we also want to have our staff provide some support uh, along the way. But it's, it's, a, it's a battle that we're going to continue to, to fight um, uh, along the way and so folks really get the chance to understand, you know, just uh, how a lack of accessibility 
uh, means a lack of access to jobs and access to education, and it means it's a denied opportunity for people who are blind. I, I guess, uh, and 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 you know what what my views are on on this topic because um, ACB and FCB have gotten to the point where we've actually fire, filed a complaint with the Department of Justice uh, over not so much the inaccessibility of, of state websites, so that's part of it, but it's really over the, the repeated and ongoing refusal to negotiate appropriately with regard to, um, with regard to, the, to the inaccessible websites. And so I, I guess while I, while I applaud what the Division of Blind Services is doing, um, I, I'm not sure we're going to get anywhere un, un, until and unless we, we, we are prepared to say to them, look, there are blind people who've worked for your agencies until you changed your software, and now they can't. And, and you are effectively disenfranchising a bunch of folks and preventing a bunch of other folks from potentially taking advantage of employment by the state, which is supposed to be available to everybody, and I and, and I guess I'm yeah. I'm I'm urging that we take a harder line. I would too, because um, number one, I know the Department of Children and Families has software that that eliminates blind people from being employed from them, and then number two, I had they also need to take a look at um, statewide interviewing tools, because I had a lady tell me. Um, our typing uh, web page and it's interactive. It, the typing part um, scrolls across the screen and you're supposed to type with it. And she said, it's accessible. I made it enlarged. And I'm like, um, no, <laughs> I'm sorry, but it's not. So, um, you know, I do, I do think we need to, you know, sort of beef it up and maybe we could have, you know, the worst software contest. Somebody could <laughs> <be> win. <laughs> <laughs> Children and families would win that one. Mm -hmm. and, and any final thoughts before we move on, Director Doyle? No, no, no other thoughts from me on that. I, I know that there's the challenge persists uh, both uh, uh, in, in the areas that you've talked about with, uh, with government settings as well as in the private sector. Sure. And uh, we'll be better off once, once we get things uh, uh, um, working better for our consumers. Liz, thank you for your call. You're welcome. Ms. Mr. Rick? Yes, Peter, please. Peter. Yes, hi, Paul and the gang. How are you? Uh, I'm well. How are things in Missouri? Uh, very cold. You want to move here? It's like Ooh. 11 degrees. It's supposed to get out to minus four this weekend. You're all welcome Yikes. to come and join us. Um, and it's also um, uh, it's very slippery because we have an inch and a half of snow. Nothing's melting, you know, so it's, it's, Yikes. it's glorious here. So if you want to move all here, you're welcome to join us. We'd love, we'd love to have you. I'll um, stay where I am. Yeah. <laughs> I thought that's what you, hey, so congratulations, Paul. I'm glad you're back from whatever happened to you. Uh, you Thank you. You're doing well. Uh, and congratulations, I guess, on Tampa Bay. If you, I don't know if you're a Tampa Bay guy or a Miami guy, but uh, <laughs> that's another conversation. Well, yeah. In uh, any case, I, I love the idea of the worst software. Uh, we could make a, a video game of that or a TV game. We could. Know? I think that'd we be could. Fun. Yep. Um, and, and, I, and, I, and Paul, you know this, I'm sure, but there are many people I know who have lost their jobs in the VA yes. because of, their, of, of technology issues. And it's very sad. And it's very frustrating. It and is. I work from home um, and a good deal of the software I use is also inaccessible. Um, right. And it's a real challenge and you have to work around it. 
my question, um, and I was really interested to hear the conversation about RSA uh, in, in Florida, because I think the whole work, uh, now that we're coming out of the virus uh, pandemic, I hope, uh, is that um, I think the whole workplace is changing under our feet. And if we don't get move ahead of it, or at least acknowledge it, I think we're going to be in some trouble. And, um, you know, this whole issue of working from home, this whole issue of technology issues, this whole issue of business uh, uh, change and becoming more tech focused. Um, it, it strikes me we're, we're, we're changing very quickly and very quick. And I'm wondering what Dan thinks about um, how, how Voc Rehab needs to change with it. How, how are we going to prepare people to work from home and not in the office? Uh, how are we going to prepare to deal with people with, with technology that frankly is moving so fast that even the best efforts are sometimes falling short? You know, there are just all kinds of questions. I'm uh, currently consulting with a, with a small organization in Nebraska who are now wrestling with, okay, the virus is, is you know, beginning to fade. How, are we going to bring people back to our office? Are they going to work from home? How are we going to deal with this sort of half work from home, half office thing? And I'm sure they're not the only ones dealing with this. Uh, mm -hmm. And, I, I, and uh, I know other uh, groups representing other minorities are struggling with the same kinds of issues. How are we going to best work with organizations to hire us to make our, our, um, our people better prepared and the business better prepared to deal with, with the challenges that our various, various uh, minority groups think. So I guess my question to uh, Mr. Doyle is, do you agree with me? And to the extent that you do, what, do you, what, is, what is Voc Rehab doing to prepare for this? I think, it's, I think it's a massive work shift. I really do. I think it's massive. Yep. So let's talk about that, if you don't Thank mind. Thank you, Mr. Altschul. And Director Doyle. Yeah. So, 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 Peter, uh, really, really great, great questions. And, and I do uh, agree with you that uh, we do have a challenge uh, that's before us. Uh, I think that we, you know, number one, when we talk about the transition or the shift uh, from, you know, being all in the office and all face to face, I think we have uh, shown that that uh, that we can operate in a virtual world. I think we've shown that we can be successful in a virtual world. I think it creates opportunities for our consumers that maybe have not been uh, recognized before. You know, as long as again, there's the technology in the sense that, you know, we're able to provide the equipment and certainly our state agencies are able to provide the equipment as long as the internet's available in those areas uh, or we find a, a mechanism to, to make it available. And as long as other websites for entities that folks are gonna work in are, are accessible. And to the extent that we're able to work in conjunction with our uh, rehab engineers and, the, and, the, and, the, and to the extent that we're able to, as a vocational rehabilitation uh, network uh, across the nation, able to engage with businesses uh, in order to, you know, build those scripts and build those, um, those, those, uh, those software bridges. I, again, I think the world is open to us in ways that it hasn't been open to us uh, before. I think that this is exposed business uh, and exposed entities' lack of accessibility uh, as, as, as not uh, been seen before as well. And so it creates some opportunities. We've got to be agile as state agencies and we've got to be able to quickly move in and work with those businesses and be able to quickly uh, show that we can be a resource to, um, to them uh, in these challenges. Otherwise, what happens is, you know, individuals who are now uh, going to have to telework because of, of the new world, uh, without that accessibility, they're going to find themselves out of work. Yeah. And so we've got to be quick and we've got to be nimble and we've got to be able to 
uh, quickly respond to those business needs. And part of that is making sure businesses know that we're there and know that we're able to provide those resources to help individuals to stay employed. And I hope, and I, I'm, I'm assuming this is correct, that you guys have some kind of business advisory council to sort of help you think through these issues. I know many other minority groups do. They do businesses they work with to sort of help them think through what is what, what are your needs, Mr. Business People, Mr. Employers, and how can we best work with you to make, you know, to, to make those needs happen? Um, I, I trust you, you're working, you know, uh, and I suspect many voc rehab agencies are not doing that, but I trust you guys are. Um, yes. I think it's really important. Yeah, so, so, so we have, and this is part of our um, uh, uh, Council of State Agencies of Vocational Rehabilitation. We have what's called the National Employment Team there, and, and there we are consulting with, with business on the local level. We have our uh, business relation consultants. We call them, uh, uh, we, what do we call them, uh, uh, employment placement specialists that are going out and meeting with businesses and talking about what their needs are in, in order to either help an employee, uh, help a, a consumer to either get a job or help a consumer stay on the job. And so we're getting feedback from that as well. And then we also participate on our career source uh, on the state board I mentioned earlier. And then locally, our uh, managers are also participating with those career source, those, those one-stop workforce partners, uh, where they're able to be a part of some of those conversations as well uh, to kind of hear what businesses needs are uh, so that we're able to respond to them. And, and understanding that, that, again, I think Paul mentioned this earlier in the conversation, it used to be back in the day that as a blind agency, we operated in, in, a, in a isolation, maybe didn't seem, seem to have as much prominence or importance, or sometimes we felt like we had to do it all on our own. We're recognizing now that we don't have, you know, certainly we know how to work with people who are blind and visually impaired. We certainly know the technologies. We certainly have the, the certified and credentialed staff and organizations, but there are some things that we can partner with folks uh, like the career sources and the one-stop agencies and work with their skill set and their expertise with business and be a partner there that will help us to achieve the success that we need to do. And again, we didn't have that prior to WIOA. We did not have that prior to the Workforce Act. One other quick comment, Paul, and then I'll happily uh, recede to the gloom of Missouri. Go ahead, Ms. Um, Go ahead Peter. That is, I just want to, we were talking about Career Connect, and um, yes. the web address for Career Connect is currently aphcareerconnect.org, I think it is. Yes. Um, um, it, they've changed the name, so for those, uh, and they're upgrading the site, do all kinds of weird things to it. But in any case, I, it, it's a great site, and I hope people uh, take advantage of it. Uh, thank you for uh, answering my questions, and I will uh, yield. Peter, thank yeah. you so much. Yeah. Yep. Um, I, we just be, just before we take the next question, let's talk about the other elephant in the room with WIOA, um, and that's um, competitive employment. Um, how how do you think that? The, the, the whole idea of integrated competitive employment as it's being espoused by WIOA has impacted DBS? Uh, we, we, we've, we've been, uh, as, as was discussed a little bit earlier about the homemaker outcomes, um, as we've talked about, you know, maybe sometimes employment in uh, whether it's a local lighthouse, uh, we have been a challenge in some instances because uh, early interpretations, and, and I believe some of those interpretations continues to uh, persist uh, suggested that um, that some outcomes where an individual may be making fifteen dollars an hour 
uh, may not be considered to be competitive and integrated compared to a job out there that may be paying, you know, seven fifty an hour, uh, and that being considered to be competitive and integrated. And 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 I, from from my standpoint, uh, have challenged some of those things on the national level. I've challenged some of those things with the feds. Uh, it continues to be a, a a problem. Now, RSA just recently, and I'm not sure if you saw this, Paul, um, uh, prior to the um, a change in administration provided some additional guidelines and some additional context relating to competitive integrated employment. Uh, but one of the biggest things that has been helpful to us in that regard is that ultimately the state agency and the counselor get to make that determination right. of whether it is competitive and integrated. And, and, and that gives us some more control over that process. But those definitions uh, have been, uh, they've, they've kind of dug in on those definitions but the fact that we get to be the final determiners, determiners of that gives us more flexibility to be able to evaluate, not just say blanketly that, you know, a call center job at a local lighthouse is not competitive integrated. We can go in and take a look at that. Uh, but it's still it's still a challenge. So it hasn't uh, I, I guess I'm trying to, to gauge what, whether or not it has seriously Im impacted your ability to get closures or, or or do you think you've been able to work around it for the most part? Yeah, I think we've been able to work around it because because, again, prior to, um, you know, this this uh, a pandemic, uh, we've seen record years of, of of employment outcomes, you know, just gradually going up every year. Uh, so so it, it's 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 helped us push it. And, and we've actually you know, we talk about, you know, competitive integrated employment. We've we you know, sometimes people say, hey, we need to stop looking at employment at age 55. And, and we're challenging that and saying, hey. You know, there there are folks that are older than fifty five who want a competitive integrated job as well, and so we've been we've been reaching reaching those consumers as well. Excellent, Mr. Rick. Paul, no more at the moment. Excellent. <clears throat> so one of the issues, uh, one of the issues post pandemic uh, that that I think we're going to have to deal with um, is how we are going to reestablish um, uh, the way our offices are going to run. E even if we allow some telework, we're clearly going to have to create a, a greater degree of access to offices and a greater degree of access to kind of face-to-face -face service delivery. Have you guys done much planning in terms of looking ahead to how that's going to look? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, we absolutely have. And um, what we've done is, you know, we're, we're going to continue to, you know, make teleworking available to our team members, but, but it cannot be at the expense of serving our clients. And so where, whereas some state agencies are, you know, going full, full fledged, you know, telework, uh, we've implemented some guidelines around teleworking and around, you know, needing to be in the office and customer interaction and, 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 and the more touch points that there is with the customer, the more, uh, that individual will need to be in the office and be available. Of course, we're being careful and we're staggering days and things in the office. We're uh, doing services by appointment, but our number one priority is to serve our consumers. And while teleworking is, is now an option that hasn't been there before, uh, we've got to be in place and we've got to be in a position that we're able to receive our consumers at our doors or at their homes or in the community in a safe way um, uh, to prevent transmission but in a safe way to make sure that we're serving. And so um, uh, we, 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 we are not, um, we're teleworking, 
but we're not uh, teleworking to the extreme that we were when uh, when the pandemic first uh, uh, started up. One of the questions that's come up, and I don't I don't know the degree to which the Division of Blind Services is directly involved, is that there is some real difficulty in the state of Florida for people who are blind to get access to vaccines and to be able to get the information as to where vaccines are available. Has DB got, DBS gotten involved in uh, any efforts to, 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 to try to alleviate that issue? Yeah, absolutely. So again, we're t- talking with our team, you know, the state recently rolled out the, the, uh, the online system for, um, for folks to uh, get in line for the vaccine and, I've had some communication with some of the folks in the field about the uh, about the accessibility of the system. We were immediately able to take that uh, that information and those challenges to our departmental leadership, who immediately put us in contact with folks at the Department of Health, uh, who immediately responded that uh, they were going to be looking at those challenges and looking at um, uh, adjusting where is necessary to assist with that. One of the other things is that uh, I think we may have talked about a little bit earlier in this conversation is uh, looking to the extent when we think about, um, um, you know, the, the, the risk to folks who are an older population and the fact that the older population who are blind are, are still reluctant to receive services. How can we take advantage of our position of serving the, that population uh, and be a bridge with the Department of Health and be a bridge with uh, with our CRPs to make available um, a, a resource for um, uh, for 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 vaccinations, and and I, I was again I was talking to um, a couple of lighthouses over the last couple of days, and and I'm not sure whether we're at liberty to discuss which lighthouse, but one of the lighthouses I was talking to uh, was talking about a recent partnership uh, that they were able to get in their local area, and hopefully this will be out publicly real soon where they're going to be a site uh, for seniors in their area to come in and get vaccinations, which means that uh, they will be in a position to, to help prioritize those who are blind who are 55 over and over. And then in addition to that, a number of the other state agencies, and we've had some of those conversations as well, you know, when we look at, um, you know, to what extent can we provide support for those frontline workers, uh, uh, for those folks who are working directly with clients, and we've been communicating some of that with the state uh, as well as they get the first tier of priority. How can we uh, work to um, uh, 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 ensure that our folks are also um, in, in the line as soon as possible uh, in terms of receiving vaccinations if, if they choose to have them? One of the, one of the questions that, that has come out of the pandemic are the disadvantages that people with disabilities of various kinds have been placed under. And um, the the, uh, American Council of the Blind and the American Foundation of the Blind and a bunch of, for the blind and a bunch of other organizations uh, got together and and published, uh, uh, put together a survey called Flattening the Curve for which the, the, the the results are are, are, are now out. Um, clearly folks who are blind were, were disadvantaged in a variety of ways by the pandemic. Um, I, I, have you identified some that, that were of particular uh, issues in Florida? And uh, are there some specific things that, uh, that, that you're gonna be recommending down the road as the pandemic recedes 
um, to state agencies in terms of emergency preparedness? Hmm. Yeah, that 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 again, um, we we've you know again one of the challenges that we've we we have in the nature of serving uh, individuals who are visually impaired, and you think about you know public uh, health challenges and crises, and 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 you know just just surely the fact that you know. If you're blind, uh, generally you're not jumping in the car and being able to go and, no. and, and get in line, uh, 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 you know, for for access to some of the services. And so we've, we've communicated. Or to be a super spreader. <laughs> exactly, <laughs> and you know, reliance on the on the on the uh, public transportation system sometimes, right. or or needing someone to get you there. Um, mm-hmm. You know, we've communicated that, that some of the the you know uh, sometimes uh, folks aren't thinking you know that that uh, the systems that are designed uh, don't uh, envision uh, a person who is visually impaired and how they're going to access those services. And so we've had conversations with uh, departmental leadership, uh, uh, health officials as well, about thinking through some of those things. I was uh, talking with someone in, um, in one of the other counties and they said that they, you know, they were, you know, sleeping in their car to be able to get in line for, uh, you know, for the vaccine. And, and again, that may not be an option for an individual who's blind. So thinking, um, um, you know, not, not, you know, thinking universal design really is, is, is a message uh, and, and making sure that the systems that we have in place are designed to, to touch and reach every individual, no matter what their disability is, and not just presuming, you know, that folks have, you know, all the luxuries that, uh, that, that an individual um, you know, that is perceived to have. And so, yeah. so, yeah, those have been some of those conversations that we've had along the way. We, we've identified a, a number of issues um, in Florida that operate, in a, and, and I know we'll be talking more about this, but for instance, television channels are putting a lot of information on the mm-hmm. bottom of screens that, are, that they aren't making available uh, as part of the emergency audio description that we think constitute emergency components you know i think it's the pandemic is an emergency and i think that we that that we that they need to be abiding by the rules that currently exist with regard to emergency communications we've also found that um, we've gotten a lot of, of feedback that says that uh, individuals who are trying to go to grocery stores are finding it much more difficult to get help because of the whole issue of distancing and that kind of thing um, so, uh, I think there's going to be, there's going to be room to put together, uh, per, perhaps an advisory group and maybe the division of blind services could take the lead in doing this where, where a group of us sits down and perhaps puts together a set of recommendations for state government in terms of not just a pandemic, but other emergencies that might emerge. Uh, we, we would, we would love to, uh, to help lead that effort, and we would love to uh, hear from you all again directly. Um, you know where what you've what you've experienced and what those challenges have been, and and again, like I said, you know earlier on in the in the conversation, uh, certainly we can we can sit here and think of some things on on, on our sure. end, but unless we're engaging with you all in the conversations, um, we're not going to be able to pull it all together. I think so. We'll we'll work on it. We'll 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 get back to you, sir. Yes, sir. <laughs> um, uh, Mr. Rick, do we have any more hands? We do not, Paul. Excellent. So uh, another area where um, there's been at, at least some concern 
is the degree to which blind kids in schools have been appropriately served during the pandemic. Um, and I know you've been involved in, uh, in, in, in looking at transition programs, and I know we have our children's program, um, but have you gotten much feedback in terms of the degree to which um, blind kids are being disadvantaged by the pandemic in terms of the kind of instruction that they're getting? Yeah, the, 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 the real challenge, again, has been the, the fight for time, um, the fight for time online, um, a visual strain and visual fatigue, yep. um, access to the, uh, to the technologies and all the various platforms. Uh, those, those have been the number of the things that, that we've heard. And then, you know, just in terms of broader disabilities, we've, we've, we've you know, we've also heard, you know, disadvantages that folks uh, are having because you can't just presume that everyone can learn online. And again, one of the things I'll say, you know, uh, you know, you know, that's one of the reasons why I am so appreciative of the approach that our governor and the commissioner have taken to say that the local school districts have to have not just an online option, but there has to be an in-person option available as well, because you can't just presume that everybody can get it online. Uh, and so, you know, that's created some opportunities. But, but, but for those who can't get out and, and, and those in those facilities that don't have, um, you know, the optimal level of, of protections in place, um, you know, we, we do need to make sure that, the, um, that, that, that we're able to provide the support we need. And so, for example, some of the lighthouses have been, been doing, as I mentioned earlier, you know, you know, front door service or, you know, front yard service where, you know, they may go out to a home and they may provide a device and they may sit in their driveway while the person is inside, um, um, you know, to, to provide those instructions. So they're right there if they need it, but also providing that, that, uh, that safe distance approach. But, but it is a real challenge for our consumers um, uh, across the board. <laughs> Yep. Um, one, of the, one of the questions um, that we haven't talked about yet is your involvement with uh, the, the two national organizations, NCSAB and CSABR, the National Council of State Agencies Serving the Blind and the National um, the Council of State Agencies and Vocational Rehabilitation. Is that right? Yes, sir. As, uh, administrators of vocational rehabilitation. Yes, sir. There, there you go. Um, so talk to us a little bit about your involvement. And then I'm going to ask you uh, perhaps to talk about what you think their role is is currently and what it's likely to be with the new administration. No, uh, great, great questions. And, and without uh, uh, going too far, uh, I remember when I first became director of, uh, of, of blind services in Delaware, and I remember getting an invoice or invoices from the organization. And I'm like, what is this? And wow, we're paying for it. Uh, <laughs> and uh, over time, uh, and it didn't take me very long to really uh, value the, 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 the network, the partnerships, um, you know, CSAVR, which is, uh, involves all of the vocational rehabilitation agencies, whether they're blind or combined agencies or, uh, or general agencies, has been a tremendous resource on many, many broad topics of, of national importance. And they take, they take the lead in a lot of areas. Uh, and then the National Council of State Agencies for the Blind uh, is specific to blind agencies. And so, you know, you know as, a, as a director in a blind agency, you know, some of our early challenges have been, you know, being the small agency or being the small group and, and being able to connect and network with them and find ideas and strategies to prevent 
some challenges in the state has been, it's just been um, uh, wonderful. And I very soon, um, not that I was seeking office or seeking opportunity, because I certainly wasn't. Uh, I had a gentleman named uh, David Dinoteris, uh, who uh, ran the agency over in uh, Pennsylvania, uh, uh, reached out to me and says, hey, you know, we've got a vacancy and will you apply for or will you, you know, run for uh, president-elect? And I'm like, David, my, 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 uh, my plate is full. And uh, David, uh, 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 who's a, he's a he's a phenomenal gentleman, uh, but he uh, his his saying is you know he he t- he would say uh, you know if your plate is full then get a bigger plate, and so <laughs> he he quickly uh, got me on the scene and uh, I've served as um, on the technology committee with the National Council of State Agencies for the Blind. I've served as uh, past president a uh, president and past president of that organization. I've been. Uh, one of three people that I know uh, who's been president of both uh, NCSAB and uh, CSABR. I, I serve as the regional representative for the Southern region right now for CSABR. And so we're very engaged uh, with the national program, everything from policies and uh, to financial things, uh, very, very engaged in those programs and, and really pleased uh, that we're able to represent the state of Florida and have a voice uh, on those national groups. Um, and then when you talk about, you know, what role are, are these organizations serving, um, uh, you know, again, very prominent roles. Uh, we have an opportunity through those organizations to have direct access and communication uh, with the U.S. Department of Education, the Rehab Services Administration. Uh, we are uh, writing position papers and policy papers. We are uh, typically will have an opportunity uh, several times a year to have direct access to the commissioner. Uh, and, and engage them directly with questions uh, and influence policy uh, on the national level uh, in so many areas uh, across uh, vocational rehabilitation and those, those things that are important to people who are blind. And so, you know, again, you talk about taking stands relating to competitive integrated employment, the impact on transition related services and, um, and pre-employment transition services, being able to, uh, you know, have dialogue again about, you know, maybe prioritization for vaccinations, uh, for frontline workers, those are all the type of topics that we are communicating with, uh, with RSA on. Uh, even trying to influence and and I will say CSAVR and uh, well, actually in this instance, the National Council of State Agencies of the Blind, very very instrumental. Uh, and it wouldn't happen if it wasn't for NCSAB of getting those funds for um, the Randolph Shepherd, uh, the blind right. vendors. That wouldn't have happened without NCSAB at all. That's excellent. So th- the current administration is, is, a, is a new one. It's a democratic one. Um, do you know yet whether what, that, what the impact for either rehab services or the national organizations is likely to be of the, of, of the new administration? I'd, I'd, I'd like to uh, believe, based on um, the relationships that I know, some of the folks that are uh, in, in the leadership roles, is that uh, we will continue to, to have influence uh, on on the on uh, and with the new administration, um, the mm. uh, the administration that is is in place um, has um, shown attention and concern relating to disability issues. As a matter of fact, um, just heard <laughs> uh, uh, yesterday that you know typically you know when when the workforce acts expire, they have a five year authorization. Well, that there is some interest right now in the U.S. House for reauthorizing the Workforce Innovation Opportunity Act. And so we're expecting to see uh, some support for initiatives and programs. 
and support for a disability a policy uh, to move forward. Mm-hmm. Um, have 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 um, uh, has the Biden administration yet identified the folks who are going to be working at the top of the dis- disability field? As far as you know. So uh, we've seen some nominations for, you know, Department of Education, uh, but not uh, for yes. the Health Services Administration. Uh, and, and, and but some of those higher level cabinet positions, I think uh, those have been the main priority so far. Uh, I don't have and actually uh, I, I do have an email somewhere and I can go in and don't immediately recognize the names uh, of some of the folks that have been identified uh, to lead some of the key posts. Uh, but none that I immediately recognized uh, along the way. So are, are there any special new initiatives that the Division of Blind Services is working on? Um, I know last year, one of the key things was to actually begin to look in a very serious way at uh, apprenticeships. Um, maybe you could talk a little bit about why you think apprenticeships is such a good idea, and then perhaps... Um, talk a little bit, uh, a, a bit about any other initiatives that DBS is working on. Yeah. Uh, so, so again, um, the, the, the apprenticeship, um, a plan program, I love it. I really do. And I think it's something that, that uh, WIOA has, has, has brought to us that we haven't looked at before. And, and we did do a scan of other state agencies for the blind. And there's really nobody who's done much for apprenticeships. I love apprenticeships because it is an earn and learn opportunity, and a lot of the a uh, lot of programs they pay well, uh, and so you know for us it's like how do we work well with the uh, career and technical institutions? Uh, how do we tap into uh, some of those uh, those industry certifications and some of those uh, pathway programs? How do we tap into those um, like we haven't before? And and you know like sometimes some people may say well you know, maybe the reason why others agencies aren't doing it is because maybe it's not a good idea. Well, I don't buy that. I, I think that, 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 that those are opportunities that are just in the waiting for a blind and vision impaired consumers. And so uh, we are looking at uh, the feds have put out a, a, a grant competition, so to speak, across state agencies. And we're looking to see whether or not we can develop a grant program. And Paul, I got to let you know, I told Bridget to call you uh, uh, and some others as well, because I want to see whether or not either A, we can get these dollars and B, even if we don't get those dollars, um, where we can carve out some funding from DBS or where we can carve out some funding from um, career and technical education or Mm -hmm. other dollars that have been made available to career source where we can uh, get more consumers or get consumers in some of these programs. And so earn to learn is a wonderful thing. I I think that, you know, sometimes we think that we've got to, you know, send a person directly to college and I'm not against college at all, but, but, you know, I'd rather be making money, you know, while I'm working on my degree. And so uh, I think the apprenticeships, the industry certs and all of those things, they give opportunity for people to get some, some right now skills to get some right now credentials that the industry is asking for. Uh, and then able to get into a job and then continue to advance in employment uh, uh, from that from that place. And so that's one of the things that, you know, CTE is one thing. If you take a look at our website, we've uh, we've posted on our website uh, the Get There initiative that's being uh, going through CTE. When I think about our rehabilitation center in Daytona Beach, um, you know, we got to rebrand that because, you know, sometimes when people hear rehab center, they're thinking, you know, you know, some kind of, you know, physical therapy or something. 
Uh, and so we're looking at uh, rebranding that to uh, to be a, um, you know, a career and technical center for the blind or, you know, career and technical college for the blind or some, some, some nature of rebranding where it's, you know, certainly we're going to continue with our uh, independent living uh, training and uh, things of that nature. But, you know, we work with Dr. Karen Wolf uh, for a pre-employment uh, program there, and we're seeing success uh, for the numbers of folks that are going through that program. Uh, we are uh, looking at, you know, where we might uh, engage with a call center, uh, there, we've uh, received funds in the last year to, to develop a uh, CompTIA, which is a computer uh, training program for the blind. I'm going to be working in partnership with Daytona State College for that. Uh, and so, you know, those are things that we're looking looking to. Um, I continue to think about, as I mentioned earlier, our accessibility initiative and expanding accessibility uh, for individuals um, across the board. We talked about the uh, Vispero Agreement. Uh, as well, but but well, those, those we, are some of the things we're looking at. We we did and we didn't. <clears throat> Why don't you tell folks what the Vispero Agreement does? Because it really is pretty amazing. Yeah, th this is again. It, it, now it took some years to get there, <laughs> but um, um, you know we had heard from Vispero how, uh, and these are again the folks who make Jaws and Zoom Text and uh, Open Book, and 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 you all know that that software can be very expensive. Um, and, and you know that sometimes folks can get a copy of that software uh, and then, you know, because, uh, you know, they don't have an open case with the division or or maybe uh, through their job, you know, there's new updates to the software. And sometimes people have been, you know, five, six years behind in terms of the of, 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 of the version of that software. And, and we also know that it really is the standard uh, in uh, screen reader software and and uh, and as well as uh, enlargement and things. And so. You know, we'd heard how they were working with some some countries and and how they were making uh, Jaws and Zoom text available to like the whole nation. And I'm like, wow, you know, Florida's like a nation. You know, <laughs> you know, we're we, we you know we're we're a very large economy. I forget where we we fit in the world economies, but but we're we're up there. And so you know, we began to talk with the folks at Vispero and says, you know, how can we make this software available? to every person in Florida that needs this software. And we don't want to pay, you know, $1,300 a pop for, for each license. Now, of course, Vispero has asked us not to disclose, you know, the net price <laughs> per license. Uh, but, um, you know, we, we've been able to work out an agreement that any consumer of DBS, whether they're going for a job or whether they're are working on independent living or whether they're a library patron, that any consumer of the agency can have access to the latest edition of JAWS uh, at no charge if they qualify and they're a recipient of services uh, in the in the agency. And what that has done is it's driven the average cost of our, our software down. It's made the software available to consumers who couldn't have it before because we didn't have the funding available to it for it. Uh, and it's just, it's just opened up a lot of doors for consumers and opened up a lot of accessibility. And uh, I'm, I'm really pleased to say that we're the first state in the nation that have done it. And I'm certainly hoping that we have um, uh, created a, uh, a pathway for some other states to be able to do it as well. It's kind of an exciting model because, uh, you know, even, even older people who are traditionally tr uh, terrifically disadvantaged in terms of access to technology um, can get JAWS and Zoom text and that sort of stuff. So the challenge becomes then how do they get the training? <laughs> <laughs> and, and so, yeah, absolutely. How do they get the training? You know, and so one of the things is that it opens up some doors for our uh, lighthouses, our community rehab uh, program providers to also provide that training. 
Uh, they can get a case open in order to, to receive that training and the software. Of course, that's been a little more difficult <laughs> uh, due to COVID. And, uh, uh, but we're really hopeful that, uh, that uh, you know, as things uh, begin to open up more, that uh, they'll be able to, uh, to, to get that software on the devices of more consumers. And, and one of the great things for those who have a computer um, and those who have some, some, some uh, basic skills is that, you know, we can deliver the software by email. And so, you know, it doesn't necessarily mean uh, that somebody's got to come out to someone's home in order for them to get the software. And the individuals can use that software on multiple devices um, that, that's under their control. And we've provided the software free to the lighthouses and we provided it free to a number of our, um, our career source locations across the state. Uh, it's just a, a fabulous, fabulous opportunity that that we're really glad to to to, to have expanded that uh, that 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 accessibility across the state. So now I have a serious question that will demand a tremendous amount of expertise on your part. Uh -oh. um, yeah, you should be worried. Um, have you, in your travels in CSAVR and NCSAB? Run, a, run across a director who has more children than you do. <laughs> uh, I, I've got to say that I have not. <laughs> I got to say I have not. Uh, the, I, it was, I was teased at one point uh, moving from one state to another that uh, they were going to have to change the population sign. Uh, yeah. When we got there, <laughs> uh, but my wife uh, Tisha and I, we have uh, nine children, uh, and uh, still have five at home. We've got a couple grands that uh, that's been a, a considerable amount of time for us uh, with us, uh, and so uh, we've been we've been you know we've been very blessed and uh, and and uh, I'm really glad to 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 be able to to live here in the state of Florida and, and raise them here. Yeah, with, with all the opportunities that are here in Florida. I, I think I said in, in my uh, initial announcement of this program that you had given up your wife's birthday and your anniversary at various times to be at, uh, at FCB functions. Um, and, and we very much appreciate that. Uh, and I and, and, uh, hope your wife will forgive us down the road. Um, I'm looking forward to an opportunity to get a chance to meet her. I, I, I think she must be an amazing lady. She, she really is. And, and she's actually listening in this evening as well. She's always there rooting and supporting. And uh, I, I'm very grateful that, again, that she is, uh, you know, she's someone who understands that uh, duty calls and, and she's not a selfish person, very giving. So, you know, as you said, from from my birthday to her birthday to, you know, our wedding anniversaries, uh, uh, not that she's wanting to get rid of me because she she doesn't want me to leave. <laughs> this is a good thing. Uh, we're, we're, we're very fond of one another, but, uh, but she understands that the duty calls and, and she uh, very graciously allows us to be able to uh, provide the services that, that, that we do. Excellent. There have been a, a, a lot of questions that have been raised over the past couple of years um, that, that, that have to do with the, the degree to which um, disabilities are are losing influence at the state and national level um, based on the fact that other minorities are being louder and more insistent on their needs. Do you perceive that there's a real competition between um, other minorities and folks with disabilities? 
the 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 honest truth, uh, uh, Paul, is I do think there is a a real competition. You know, everyone uh, is advocating for uh, their place, their position, uh, their access, and their rights, and it does create some competing interests uh, across the board. Um, I do believe that you know we we will continue to see that competition, and I also believe that um, that uh, that the administration. Uh, is going to provide attention to uh, the needs of people with disabilities uh, and that, uh, that the people with disabilities are going to have an opportunity to, to be heard and to receive uh, the supports that they need. But, but there is a competition amongst resources um, and, and, and that will be a challenge. I think that honestly, as you look at, you know, uh, situations like COVID, sometimes it creates, you know, where those voices are, are all competing you know how do you how do you uh, shrink back uh, resources, or how do you consolidate resources? And those are challenges that we're always uh, looking out and trying to be careful and cautious about. Uh, again, I'm very very uh, grateful that you know as we take a look at the governor's recommended budget this year, that uh, it keeps in mind the needs of of, of those that we serve, uh, and and does not have any. Um, uh, large scale um, uh, uh, challenges that uh, that shrink the ability that we have to serve our consumers. How would you how would you look at say the the, the future of services to the for the blind five or ten years from now? What what would you like to see, and what do you fear? And and wow. this is probably <laughs> your last question. Wow. <laughs> Wow. Wow. So, so, uh, you know, what I would really want to see, and again, I think we're very fortunate here in the state of Florida to be able to provide services across the entire age uh, spectrum. Uh, I think we're very fortunate in that regard. I, I want to see us to continue to, as I talked about earlier, expanding accessibility. I want to continue to see us um, uh, see more consumers get jobs, keep jobs, uh, and have access to uh, the type of jobs and the type of careers and the type of credentials that any other person has access to. Uh, I want to see us, uh, you know, as major players at the table. And as I said before, you know, we want to be able to do that as a partner at the table, uh, not as a um, uh, subsidiary, <laughs> uh, if that mm -hmm. makes any sense. Well, it does. Um, you, know, um, the, you know, our fears, you know, as you talk about competition amongst resources and things, our fears is that sometimes folks say, well, you know, you look just like that group or you sound just like that group uh, where folks don't really understand the complex needs of individuals who are blind and visually impaired uh, and the complex rehabilitation processes uh, that are there. It's, it's, and, and again, I don't want to create a competition amongst disability groups, but it's not, you know, as simple as sometimes, you know, just a, you know, a simple, you know, uh, device that, you know, that that's put in place. And then now, you know, there you are, go back to work. But there, there are complex rehabilitation needs and, and, and that we know that uh, providing those services uh, within the context of an agency for the blind ensures the optimal results for uh, individuals who are uh, blind uh, and for folks who have the most need who are blind. And so that, that relates to some of, some of our concerns as we look across the spectrum. And so, you know, we, we want to expand that access. We want to have a seat at the table we want to see, you know, record, more record numbers of folks uh, becoming employed than, than, than ever before. And we want to continue to see those average salaries be uh, as high as they can be uh, for our consumers. Director Doyle, you have managed 
to survive two hours on Tuesday topics and have done a wonderful job responding to a pretty broad array of questions. And I'd like to thank you very much for your, uh, your willingness to be a part of us. There are loads of subjects we didn't talk about. So maybe in a year or two, I can persuade you to come back. Absolutely. Thank you for having me here. And uh, it's, this, this has been a challenge, but I appreciate <laughs> having the opportunity. And I always appreciate your partnership and your wisdom and your leadership as well, Paul, as well as for the um, Florida Council of the Blind. Well, Director Doyle, thank you so much. Ladies and gentlemen, it's been our pleasure to uh, have entertained you perhaps over the last uh, two hours. Please have a, a wonderful evening and remember the success of blind people depends on blind people being prepared to be successful. <laughs>